may be seated. Amen. It's good to see you guys this morning. Um, we started a series of messages last week, and uh, we'll finish out next week, just be a three-week series, but we've been looking at the prayers of Jesus, um, and we could talk about the prayers of Jesus for a long time, um, but we, we looked at Matthew chapter 11 last week, and uh, we looked at that prayer, and we found that the prayer that Jesus prayed in Matthew chapter 11 was a, a very intentional prayer, um, and it was for us also he modeled intention for us that our relationship with God is not accidental. Our relationship with God is not just something that we kind of fall into. It, it is something that we're invited into and that we have to keep up with. It's uh, something that he calls us to walk, uh, to continue to walk that path and to walk that out with him. And so um, we looked at Matthew chapter 11 last week and we looked at that prayer of a prayer of intention about relationship being intentional about the relationship we're called to and keeping that relationship up and we we looked also at how intention leads to intimacy that when we're intentional about our relationship with the father that it leads to intimacy with god that we can know the heart of god and so this morning we're going to look at uh another prayer of jesus found in john chapter 17 and um, in this prayer, he also talks about relationship, and there's some, pray, some things that Jesus prays for um, and some people that Jesus prays for, and so uh, we're going to look at that. But I want to show you a quick video. How many of you guys um, remember the cartoon Peanuts? Yeah, Charlie Brown, right? Do -do 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 -do, you know, Linus and Lucy, you know. Um, and, and actually, that, that cartoon precedes me, uh, you know, so it's super old. Um, but um, when you, yeah, some, some of y'all are laughing because you're like, uh, it's, it doesn't precede you. <laughs> it's okay. It's all right. But let me show you this quick video. Watch this. Some of you might remember this one. Right? Anybody you feel this pain? You know, you've been there. You remember when, you know, and, and I remember this when we only had like three channels. I remember my dad was pastoring up in a little place called Bloomingdale. Anybody know where Bloomingdale is at? It's up, uh, up above Pooler. My dad was pastoring a little church up there, and we got three channels. I think one of them was WTOC. Uh, you know, I can't remember the other two channels. I think one was PBS, you know. But I would have to get up and go change the channel. You know, that's I was the remote. You know, he son, get up and go change that channel. Go change it to one of the other two channels that we have, right? And now there's 4,000 channels, and there's nothing on any of them. Um, but but you feel his pain, right? You know, uh, when Lucy was able to put her five uh, digits together, she she was able to make something move. At least at least she made him move and uh, got what she wanted. Um, and, and so sometimes we have that struggle. We have that struggle with unity. We have that struggle of getting everything on the same uh, the same page. And I want us to look this morning at this uh, prayer of Jesus found in John chapter 17. Let's go ahead and go there, John chapter 17, and we're going to just read uh, from verse 6 down to verse 19. 
That's 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 the the part that they can go to. John chapter six, John chapter seventeen, verse six. John seventeen and six. This is what it says. And this is Jesus praying. He says, I have manifested your name to the people. What does that mean? What does manifest? It's not really something that we say, right? I don't I don't say, hey, I manifested something. It's it's when you manifest something, you reveal it, right? You disclose it to 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 someone. And so uh, Jesus is disclosing uh, God's name. And what does that mean? It's not just that we would be on a first name basis with God. It's not just so we say, hey, God, how you doing? My name's Ryan. Your name's God. It's way deeper than that. What Jesus is saying is, is I've disclosed your name. And so when you have the name of someone, you had their heart. You had... Um, what they were all about. It was their mission uh, and their purpose and, and basically the thing that summed them up. And so a name was super important. So when Jesus says, I have disclosed or revealed or manifested your name to them, what he is saying is I've revealed your heart to my disciples. I have revealed your plan to my disciples. I have revealed uh, to your followers, God, what you want to see out of them. So I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they, uh, they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you have given me, that you gave me, and they have received them, and I've come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me, and I am praying for them, and I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. So this is a very specific prayer. He's not just praying a blanket prayer for all the world. He's praying for those who are followers of him, who, are, who have given their heart over to God. He said, um, and so we pick up here in verse 10, all, all mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, just, just get that. It's kind of, it's hearkening back to what he prayed last week when we looked at Matthew 11 and he called Father. There's relationship here in this prayer too. Holy Father. Keep them in your, there it is again, keep them in your name. Keep them in your path, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which is Judas. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak into the world, that they may, uh, they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world. I want to stop right there. Catch that? It's not even just what he's praying for us. It's what he's not praying for us to. What did he say? I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, and they also <coughs> that they also may be sanctified in truth. So we see here that Jesus is praying several things, and I, I want us to 
just look at this as we kind of look back. Jesus talked about relationship last week, uh, or we talked about relationship that Jesus prayed for last week in Matthew chapter 11. Uh, and this week we see that he's also praying for relationship. Now, I didn't read the first part of this chapter, and you go read that on your own. But the first part of that chapter, Jesus is reflecting on his relationship with his father. He's reflecting on this relationship that he has, this, uh, this kind of this recipro- reciprocity uh, of, of giving and taking, that God gives him uh, something and, and, and Jesus gives back, and it's this glory that he talks about. And so in, uh, in the first part of this, this chapter, we see Jesus is talking relationship. But then he begins to look not just at relationship that Jesus has with his Father, God, God the Father, but then he starts talking about the relationship that he's praying for for us. And so when we start looking at this, this, this is called the priestly prayer. Uh, it's part of um, this kind of this, this getting to the end of Jesus' life. You know, if you've ever been close to someone before they died, um, usually it's when they really begin to speak the things that they want you to know. You know, they, there are things that they want to say, things they want to make sure that you understand. If, if you've ever, ever been there and, and you've, you've had people that you care about that they wanted to share their heart before they left. And so we see some of that here with Jesus, that before Jesus leaves, he's been on mission. God has given him a mission, and he's about to complete this mission. And then he's going to pass off that mission to us. Sometimes we look at the Gospels and we think, well, the Gospels, you know, they just end. They end Jesus' mission and that was it. Nope. Actually, uh, what comes after the Gospels? Acts comes after the Gospels. And what Acts is, it's the Acts of the church. It's so that the church can continue on this mission of Jesus that he's given us. And so the mission of Jesus does not stop at the end of the Gospels. Actually, it continues on with us. And that's why he's praying this prayer, because he sees this being passed along to us. And we're going to need strength. We're going to need the Father to help us in this to be able to accomplish the mission he set out for us. And so it's, it's about relationship. Jesus is reflecting on the relationship he has to his father. Then Jesus reflects on this relationship he has to his disciples. See, most of my prayers coming through, um, growing up, all my prayers were about God, give me something. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You ever prayed those prayers? How many of you prayed a lot of those prayers like me? I have prayed a lot. God, give me this. God, give me this. God, give me this. God, I'd love to have that. And I would not be angry at you if you gave it to me. God, please give me this. I remember I used to pray about, um, there was just one girl in particular. God, let her be my wife. God did not answer that prayer. And I'm so glad that God did not answer that prayer. And he brought me the one that should be my wife. You know, so there are times that I've had unanswered prayers, kind of like what Garth Brooks has got a song, Thank God for Unanswered Prayers. I'm not going to sing that for you. You can go look it up on Spotify. Um, but I, I agree. I think, man, there's so many prayers like, God, I'm so glad you did not answer for me uh, and that you saw what I needed more than I did. Um, and, and so there, there have been times that I've prayed. A lot of times we pray these prayers where we're asking for something. God, give me this. God, give me this. But I really think that, um, and I've tried to change this in, in my walk, that we don't pray for something. We pray to know someone. Um. And, and I know you're saying, well, we never should pray for something. That's not what I'm saying. I'm never, I'm never because there, we do find places where God's saying, hey, ask in my name. But what does that mean, in my name? It means this. Really, I want to direct my prayers now. God, help me know you more. Help me to know you better. Because when I know you more and I see you better and I reflect you better, 
I feel that you're going to give me whatever I need. And so it's out of that relationship. And so then I'm not asking just as a stranger coming up to God, God, please help me with this. I need you to help me. It's like, who are you? Do I know you? Right? Some of us, we've had that kind of relationship with God. We never show up until uh, it's time for us to ask for something. How many of you got any relatives like that? You know? Hit the lottery. I met a dude. I ain't seen you in 20 years. And uh, now you're at my door. You know? So, so we, we, you know, we have this relationship sometimes with God where we're just coming and asking for stuff. And really, it's, it's got to be deeper than that. And, and so this is what, that's why I say we don't pray to get something. We pray to know someone. And when I pray to know someone, it involves relationship. And in that relationship, I can be assured my father's going to take care of me. My kids, when they come and ask me for something, it's a whole lot different than the neighbor's kid coming to ask me for something, right? My kids, I, I know them. I love them. I know what they need. And sometimes, you know what? I know what they don't need. And so sometimes I'll say, yes, absolutely. And then there's sometimes I'll say, no, not on, not on your, yeah, I'm not doing that. You don't need that. And I'm not going to do that for you, right? And so we have to look and, and we have to trust in that relationship that they have with me. It's the same thing with my father, my heavenly father, that as I know him and he knows me, I can trust that relationship that he will give me what I need. So we don't pray to get something, we pray to know someone. So what did Jesus pray for those someones? Those someones that were praying to know, Jesus prayed for those someones. And who are those someones? Those someones were his disciples. And what did he pray for? There were two things that he prayed for, and I'm going to have to run through this really quick because you're getting hungry. My stomach's growling too. And um, what did he pray for? He prayed two things. First thing that he prayed for is something that he prayed that we wouldn't have. He prayed, God, don't take them out of the world. I, I don't know about you, but I, I've been raised in church, and we would sing all these old hymns, all these old songs, and I love them. But everybody remember, I'll fly away, oh glory. I'll fly away, oh glory. I'll fly away when I die. Hallelujah, by and by. I'll fly away. There you go. You know it. Okay, so um, and, and he, Jesus is not praying that. Jesus is not praying They'll fly away as, I, as soon as I'm gone, you take them out. No, Jesus has the exact opposite. He says, I'm going to you, Father, and I pray that you don't take them out of the world. He's not praying for us to escape because we have a mission. We have, he's got a plan for us. He's got purpose for us. You are here for a purpose. You are here for a reason. And I know sometimes it's difficult, and I know sometimes we fight stuff and we deal with things like, God, I just wish this was over. You know, God, please just let the rapture take place. God, take me out of here. When are you coming back? We pray this prayer. I get it. I understand. But God has a plan for you to be here. God has a plan for your life, and he has a plan for you to carry that mission that Jesus has passed to us. If we are believers and we are followers, we are followers, not just because we're getting out of here one day. It's because we have a mission to accomplish that Jesus has handed to us, and he expects for us to do that. And so, so Jesus prayed. He's, he, one thing he didn't pray, he, didn't, he prayed, don't take them out of the world. But he prayed, protect them from the evil one. He said, protect them from the evil one. Protect them from... Um, from the one who would come to steal, kill, and destroy. We find that in John 10.10. 10. It says the thief comes only to steal, kill, and to destroy. That's what the thief wants to do. He wants to take from you. He wants to create chaos and havoc in your life. He wants to create division in your life and in your relationships. And Jesus knows this, and so this is why he's praying. He says, listen, don't take them out of the world because the world needs them to be there. And, and because the, they're going to be in the world, protect them from the evil. 
Protect them from the evil one specifically because he's marked them. He wants to create division and damage in their life. And that's, see, that's what happens when we go on down and we see a little bit farther in this prayer that Jesus prayed, make them one as we are one. He prayed for our unity. He prayed for us to be unified. So if Jesus is praying for our unity and we're not unified, what's the result? What's the, other, what's the opposite of being unified? We're divided, right? So he's praying. He knows that we could be a divided people. How, we know all about division, don't we? Do we know about division in America? Okay, there we go. I just wondered if I was living in the same country you are. I mean, we divide over all kinds of stuff. We divide over politics. We divide over sports teams. Uh, we divide over Ford and Chevy. We divide over all kinds of things. We divide over the, I call it the Macon-Dixon line, because if you go above Bacon, there's no gnats, you know. Uh, you know. Some of y'all don't know. Like, What's he talking about? Just Macon, Macon, okay. So, uh, you know, we, we understand division. We know how it is. We're really good at dividing, we're not so great at uniting. It's easy to divide. It's easy to hate. It's easy to um, get on each other's case and just say, you're not like me. What's more difficult is to be unified. But that's what Jesus calls us to. Jesus calls us to a tough love or a, 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 a walk that is, um, says, I'm, I'm going to live this out. and I'm going to be, like last week, I'm going to be intentional about it. It's going to take work. Love takes work. See, we are continuing the work of Jesus, and that work can be hindered and even damaged without unity. And division is dangerous. Division is dangerous. And I want to give you, real quick, just a few things that what division does. Division creates distance between us. Division will, um, we talked last week that Jesus is, is praying about proximity. He wants us to come close to the Father, and he wants us to come close to each other. But we can't do that if we're letting things divide us. If we're a divided church, that's going to create distance between us. It creates distance between us, each other. It creates distance between us and the Father. Division creates distractions from the mission. How many times have you ever been uh, just kind of you thought, yeah, yeah I've, got a, I've got something I need to do, I've got something I need to do, and you got distracted. Anybody? You get distracted from, and you're like, man, I, I wanted to accomplish so much more. How did I get off course? The enemy knows that. The enemy knows we're easily distracted. And so that's what division does. It keeps us from living the life that God has called us to live. It keeps us from modeling and reflecting Jesus in our walk. And, and if he distracts us, he doesn't actually have to, to stop us or, or, or get us to not believe in God. All he's got to do is get us distracted from something else, from the mission. So division creates distractions from the mission. Division damages our credibility, right? So when we go out and we're trying to win the world, and the world's looking at us and saying, wait a second, you want me to become what? You want me to, to follow Jesus? You guys are followers of Jesus, and, and y'all hate each other. So why should I want to know anything about your Jesus? We do damage to the credibility of the mission and the message. 
when we live this way, when we live in a divided sense. Division damages our credibility. Division is often rooted in idols we cling to. There are things that we love. We love uh, our personal desires, those things that I like, maybe our personal preferences, maybe our styles of music. Maybe you like those hymns that I was singing a while ago. You, oh, man, I love that. I wish we'd sing more of that. You know, I don't want us to sing these, these modern worship songs. I don't like those. And we can divide over worship music. That's personal preference. And it distracts us from the mission. And actually, those are the kind of things that can become idols that we worship style more than we worship the Father. Division damages our ability to reach the next generation. I love seeing, seeing this group down there. It's the first two rows right here, first three rows. I'm trying to, there you go, you're waving at me. So, some of y'all behind them are like, hey, look, include us too, right? And these, these, these uh, high school students, middle school students, um, you know, I love seeing them worship. That encourages me. And, guys, we have a responsibility and an obligation to pass along to them something uh, that Jesus died for and we don't divide it. That the church that we're passing along and asking them to come along into is a church that is not divided and we're hating each other and we're fighting over stuff. What we're, what we're asking them to come along with is this journey of, of unity and, 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 and we want them to be part of that, not walk away from that. And so division can create, um, create damage for this next generation if they see that to even want to be part of what what we're doing division gives the enemy dominance gives the enemy dominance a divided nation needs a united church now more than any time our nation is so divided and that's that means it's it's on us to be more united than ever and that doesn't mean we look alike sound alike doesn't even mean that we we even think alike in lockstep I, I i told the first service and said i look at it as like a marching band now, a marching band has a lot of unity in their diversity. They are playing the same song, right? But they are playing it with different instruments. They're playing it, and one, one group may be marching this way. Another group may be marching that way. But when they're doing it in sync, it looks beautiful. It sounds awesome. It looks awesome. And that's the kind of uh, the analogy, I think, that we can use for the church, that we, we've got to give room for there to be differences, but we've got to be, be right on the same song. That God is calling us to sing the same song. A divided nation needs a united church. I'm going to ask somebody to come play. See, this is going to take work. Rage and hate are easy for our culture. We live in a culture of rage. Everybody's raging right now about something. Everybody. And I know you're like, man, I, I just turn on the news and it takes me about half a second before I just want to turn it back off again. Rage and hate are easy for our culture love takes work we're called to that work guys we're called to the work of love how does that play out love takes work which means love's going to also take understanding which means you're going to have conversations with people maybe you disagree with maybe you're going to have to have long conversations with people you disagree with and maybe you won't always see eye to eye but it's going to take some some effort on your part some understanding Love takes understanding. Love takes time. This is not something that gets fixed overnight. People have been trying to fix it forever. Love takes time for us to say, I'm willing to be in your life and be intentional about being in your life. Love takes initiative. What does that mean? Love takes the first step. Somebody's got to go first. Maybe in your relationships, 
Maybe there's some, some friction. Maybe there's, there's some static that you're getting. And, and we're all waiting for that other person to take the step. Well, they just need to come to me. If they'll come to me, we can patch things up. Love takes the first step. We're called to be a people who take the initiative. And that may be difficult. You say, Pastor, you don't know my situation. Maybe I don't. But that doesn't change that God said it. It doesn't change that Jesus lived it. It doesn't change that Jesus modeled it. It doesn't change that Jesus passed it to us to move out to you stand with me. Last thing here. The love of Jesus in you changes the way you love the people around you. The love of Jesus in you changes the way you love the people around you. And so, so maybe you've been praying, God, I've been praying for you to change your heart. God, I've been praying for you to change your heart. God, I've been praying for you to change your heart. Maybe you just stop and start praying, God, Maybe that's a little bit different of prayer. God, please help me to know you better. Please help me to reflect you better. Because I believe that once we get closer to the Father, that changes us. That once we get close to the Father, it equips us. That once we get close to the Father, it actually elevates our game. It pulls us out of the muck. It pulls us out of the pit. And we begin to see a little bit higher and a little bit clearer. And it's like, I don't have to play those dirty games anymore. I don't have to play that, that, that anymore. God, lead me in what is righteous. When, she, when God revealed himself, Exodus 34, when God revealed himself, he revealed himself as compassionate and merciful, slow to anger. How did he, what did he do first? He said, I, I, not, there's no anger, but I'm slow to anger. And I am first compassionate and merciful. God, help us to reflect that. The love of Jesus in you changes the way you love the people around you.